This is Tush. And I welcome you to Tushalicious Talk, an Oklahoma City podcast for titillating women, tantalizing conversation. And I thank you in advance for allowing me to be your one-stop shop advocacy connection. Hey, 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 welcome back to the best podcast on the Building Bridges platform, Tushlicious Talk. I am your host. My nickname is Tush, real name is Jackie, and I am the co-president of the League of Women Voters in Oklahoma County. And on today's advocacy walk, I am welcoming Kylie Kylie Holland from SISU and Andrea Wheeler from Edmond Public Schools. And we are discussing how homelessness affects OKC's youth. Um, I'm going to read um, uh, a a, a statistic that I found at uh, psychiatrictimes.com. But before I get into that, I want to introduce my guests. Um, So um, for Andrea, I met her some years ago. Our daughters were uh, in a book club together. And um, through Sisu, um, she has offered to help my family personally, um, some of the people in my family that uh, had that were experiencing homelessness. So I definitely thank her for that. And if you will let us know uh, what SISU is, what SISU stands for, and what your role there is, pretty please. Sure. I'm Kylie Holland. I'm the program director at CSU Youth Services. I've been there for almost four years. <clears throat> We've grown and changed a lot in a small period of time. Um, we became a 501c3 about Mm, closer to seven years ago now. Um, we started small as just kind of a day center drop-in shelter, um, and we have ex- continued to expand. So right now we provide seven night a week uh, overnight shelter to uh, clients between the ages of 15 to 22, and we provide drop-in services 23 hours a day to clients that are ages between 15 and 24. Mm-hmm. We have also expanded our services to provide two different transitional living programs um, to young people here in Oklahoma City. And there's a little bit of different um, uh, requirements for those programs, <clears throat> but you can find every all of the information on our website, csuyouth.org. Cool, cool, cool. Um, yes. Yeah, so, and then we also have Andrea here and this is my first time meeting her in person, but she has also assisted within my familial circle uh, with homelessness as well. So definitely want to invite her to this conversation. And if you'll go ahead and introduce yourself, let us know, um, how Edmond schools are attempting to combat homelessness and what your position is. Sure. Thank you, Jackie. Um, My name is Andrea Wheeler. I'm the Educational Services Coordinator at Edmond Public Schools, and my role is to work in federal programs. And within Title I, um, I am also the homeless liaison for the district. We are required to set aside funding through Title I to help serve students who um, are homeless um, within our district. Uh, The qualifications for homelessness are a little bit different than you might think of, Um, not necessarily just people living out in the street or in cars, um, but people who have been evicted or lost their homes and who are living with other family members or people that are living in hotels because they can't afford to pay 
the first month, the last month, and this month's um, rent all at one time plus the deposit. Um, and so right now, currently, we stand at a little over 200 students mm -hmm. within our district that we know of mm -hmm. that qualify for homeless. That is awesome. Awesome. I'm so glad the program exists. Yes. Um, and I wanted to ask you, Kylie, do you have like a doctorate or anything? I don't. No. no. Okay. So I'm just asking because I do want to make it clear that of the three of us, we are not actually experts on homelessness, but on a grassroots level, I definitely consider a, a school grassroots level. We all do what we can or we are all involved personally in our daily lives. So we can definitely speak on the experience that we have come across. And that is what we will be sharing today. So to um, go back to the article, and again, you can find it at psychiatrictimes.com forward slash view forward slash never dash ending dash loop dash homelessness dash psychiatric dash disorder dash and dash mortality. <laughs> That's a lot. A mouthful. <laughs> yes. And the paragraph is a mouthful as well. So it says that there is clearly a link between psychiatric disorders and homelessness. Disentangling the nature of this relationship is complicated. Regardless of the mental health status, people who are homeless generally have a history marked by poverty and social disadvantage, including considerable poverty in childhood and lower levels of education. And they are likely to belong to an ethnic minority. Mental illness has preceded homelessness in about two thirds of the cases um, that the website was talking about. Uh, homelessness in turn has been associated with poor mental health outcomes and may trigger or exacerbate certain types of disorders. For example, findings indicate that homelessness is related to higher levels of psychiatric distress and lower perceived levels of recovery from serious mental illness. And so I thought that this was a good synopsis of how everything that how people can end up homeless kind of all interconnects together. Um, you know, the word that we use nowadays is intersectionality. So um, the first thing I wanted to cover was victimization and trauma. And what um, is your opinion on how that affects homelessness as far as maybe bullying or verbal abuse and other types of abuse? Sure. Um well, at CSU, we, we use a trauma-informed care um, system as far as the services that we provide to young people. And this really just means that we have a general understanding that the majority, if not all of our clients, have some level of trauma in their history, um, let alone the trauma of experiencing homelessness at such a young age or at any point in, in one's lifetime. Um, once clients come to us, they probably have already experienced a certain level of bullying and isolation um, based on the events that have led them, you know, to coming to a shelter. Mm -hmm. um, we see less of that in our space because we are working really hard to create a safe space for all the individuals that come to, into our services. We know that a lot of clients come to our services with the background of, you know, being rejected from families, being rejected from um, society in, in various ways, whether it's mental health or um, identi identity. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so, you know, I, and I know that m most of our clients uh, would would 
testament to their amounts of trauma in, you know, their childhood. Um, and we know that just having the experience of trauma, um, leads to different brain developments, especially in the teenage years. And it is just a, it's a bigger struggle to overcome those barriers that they're already experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely think that there's an incre- increased victimization and it, definitely the level of uh, trauma, traumatic experience in their histories. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I, I'm agreeing with everything that you said. Um, what about on the school level? Well, it's a little bit different on the school level only because um, they're, the children that we see, they have families that are bringing them to school in most cases. We do have some uh, older students who are unaccompanied youth who do live on their own, but most of what we see are people that live in families. And so um, while we are very careful to be confidential about the status of our children mm-hmm. in our schools, um, they already just feel like so they're different mm-hmm. because maybe when they got up that day, they were having to share a bathroom with five other people that had to get ready because they're staying in a hotel room or um, maybe they're um, living somewhere where it's it's just not fit for living, pe- you know, for people to live at. And so they come to school already feeling almost like victims in some way. So we work really hard, especially um, as in the district as a whole, for all students just to um, make a sense of belonging within our schools so that kids feel welcome when they get there, families feel welcome. Um, but we know that this does exist. And um, a lot of our students, they're living in trauma on a daily basis. And that's not just our homeless students, although I know that's the topic of today. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they've they've seen a lot. Some are, you know, five and six years old and they're coming and they lived in multiple places. They maybe have seen domestic violence. They have, they've been through a lot of things. So it's very hard on those students. Yeah, I appreciate you helping to, to bring awareness. Um. And so in one of the things that I read, one of the ways that people become homeless is actually because of a health issue. And so I'm wondering um, if you guys can speak about how poor health or even lack of medical coverage can lead to homelessness and how people find themselves homeless. Because I think there's like a stigma or a judgment of oh, you allowed yourself to become homeless and we are pointing the finger at people instead of empathizing with them. Absolutely. Um, At CSU, we really work hard for our young people that are coming into services to have an experience with homelessness that is brief and one time. Mm -hmm. Um, We know that the longer that someone experienced the cycle of homelessness, um, the the more likely they are to have accompanied, you know, physical and mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like the, the clip said that, you know, it can exacerbate or trigger. Um, And so, we know that just the the experience of homelessness can lead, you know, the snowball effect to lack of um, ability to access regular health care can lead from, you know, a toothache to a full blown like losing of, of some teeth. Um, whereas if if you were connected to a PCP and regularly seeing a doctor for checkups mm-hmm. um, and had that ability, then you're less likely to have those um, smaller and minor issues, uh, physical health issues mm-hmm. turn into 
major physical health issues. So I think the age range that we serve, um, we're not seeing a lot of those exacerbated um, especially physical health issues. We definitely see more exacerbated mental health issues. Um, but those physical health issues, I think definitely come after an extended period of time with experiencing homelessness. But, you know, by the time someone is, is on this path of, of homelessness, um, we have to understand that there is immediately a lack of access. Um, you're talking a lack of transportation, sometimes most oftentimes lack of identity documents, which makes it difficult to have access to things like health insurance and be able to access a, a PCP. Right. Um, and then just the, the pure fact of having this um, more malleable and transient living, meaning that even if you establish care at a physical health, um, you know, a PCP or, or another doctor, community uh, health doctor, you, you know, you may access those services one time um, and establish care, but then you have no way to get back to that PCP. And so, you know, it stops that path of, you know, getting the access to the long-term care that everybody needs. Um, so, like I said, I think that our age range makes it difficult to see the longevity of this, this specific barrier, but I do see the beginnings of it always. Um, just the experience of, of being more out in the elements. We see clients that have, um, you know, like open wounds and, um, you know, sprained ankles and things that, that happen just from being out and exposed in the world all day long. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can see how a lot of those physical health issues can lead to larger concerns. Right. Right. Yeah. I think about, um, I think it was state question 788 when we were trying to pass, um, more medical care for Oklahomans. Um, and I still think about that state question all the time. And I want to say even just within the last month, I read that Oklahoma is like number one for most uninsured people. Mm-hmm. So um, I would like for everyone to just kind of think about how a lack of medical coverage affects our state. You know, it, it, the people, I would say like the top 1% of income a lot of times they're not wanting to um, hash out the dollars for the lower income people, but you have to realize that there has to be a balance somewhere because that can absolutely lead to homelessness from everything that I'm, that I'm reading. Um, So um, that being said, I know I wanted, sorry, I wanted to add something to that. So speaking on, you know, just insurance coverage, um, over the last few years, we've thankfully been able to get a lot of our clients onto Medicaid mm-hmm. due to the low income th- in ex- expansion through mm-hmm. the COVID times. Um, that with that ending, we're seeing a lot of our clients that are just now being able to access housing um, and start, you know, being on their own and in independent living for the first time. And they're losing their health coverage because they're making just above yeah. um, the the wage. Um, I, I don't know what the exact wage uh, is. Sorry, yeah, the, yeah, but uh, they're making just above. And so they're working a minimum wage job that's not offering health coverage to them and they're losing their insurance coverage. And now if anything happens, medical health care wise, they're paying out of pocket or not again, going back into that cycle of not being able to address those physical needs until it's a major issue. And now you're talking, if you're looking, you know, down the road of not having medical health care and having a major health 
crisis and then having to pay a lot of money out of pocket, then you're talking about not having money for rent and being back in the same cycle mm-hmm. of risking losing your, your housing. Right. So just, right. just something to consider, something to think about when we're talking about insurance and medical coverage. Right. Yeah. And I was actually, that leads into what I was going to ask Andrea. I know you said you try to keep everything confidential. So I don't know if you actually ask the reasons for um, being homeless, but do you ever hear of the stories um, that relate to health insurance? Uh, We do. um, We do talk with them and a lot of families um, will just kind of tell you their story and and we listen a lot. Um, I haven't necessarily heard of people losing their insurance coverage and that's why they've become homeless. Mm -hmm. But I know that we we have seen a lot of health-related issues as well. Um, Just for example, we had a set of parents. um, One had had cancer and one had to go to the hospital for another reason. And because they were out, they didn't have the money to pay for their house. And so then they were having to live in a hotel and then they would run out of money for the hotel and then they would have to go somewhere else. And so their children were having to experience that movement of going from one place to the next place to the next place. Mm -hmm. Fortunately, um, we were able to provide transportation for them so they could maintain within their school as the one stable thing, um, which is a big component of what we do. Um, But that's kind of what they're facing. We saw a huge increase of homeless families during COVID. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was due to job loss, but mm-hmm. some of it was due to illness and that they right. they couldn't go back to work or they were go- out too long and they didn't have enough sick days to cover that. And, mm-hmm. and you're right, it just perpetuates. And so it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely keep going on that topic. Um, and, and I think that that relates to even the mental health um, And I would say that would be on both sides of it when you know that you don't have um, medical coverage or whatever you're going through, you have lost your job or whatnot. The mental anxiety related to, oh, my gosh, I'm about to get evicted out of my house. What am I going to do? And then once it actually happens, um, what the what your mentality or what your demeanor is once you've already become homeless, because it's constantly got to be on your mind. So um, how would you think that that affects the the age you said 15 through 22? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that I could speak to that the majority of our clients, if not all, um, are in that, you know, crisis response. They're in fight, flight, or freeze um, because they are living in a crisis moment, um, just experiencing homelessness. And likely... Um, you know, something that's different about young people experiencing homelessness versus what we see in adult populations of homelessness is that oftentimes young people are not experiencing homelessness because of something that they have done, you know, or, or not done or not paid rent, things like that. They've been removed from housing that was maybe not stable to begin with, but they've been bouncing around from family member to family member, couch surfing, as you had mentioned before, or living with, you know, doubled up with other families. And they've come to the end of their line because, you know, 
living in cycles of poverty and not being able to pay for an extra person living in that household. Um, we see a lot of clients that have just like come to the end of their line. And oftentimes that comes with conflict um, between those friends or family members. And so they've had conflict and trauma um, leading up to then the crisis of experiencing homelessness. So yes, when we're talking about mental health, I, I would venture to say that a large portion of our clients are coming into services in a mental health crisis um, just simply for the pure fact of everything they've just been going through. Mm -hmm. um, let alone that a, a large portion of them also have larger mental health struggles that may or may not be diagnosed, may or may, or may not be medicated, um, and may or may not even have a baseline understanding of what they're experiencing because of the age range that we're working with. They're young people who don't have a lot of life experience and may or may not have had adults in their lives to help navigate them. Right. Right. Yeah. That um, kind of reminds me of a conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago where you were talking about there's like this little time frame in between um, when sometimes a teen can become homeless and when they can go get their identification. If you'll. Um, sure. I'll, I'll speak to that. So, um, you know, with our as our age range indicates, we serve clients that are ages 15 up through 18. So. A lot of times we see these young people that they've not been placed in DHS custody. They've been bounced around from house to house. They've kind of been fending on their own for some period of time. Um, they may or may not be connected to a school at this point in time. We know that in the state of Oklahoma, they can legally drop out of school at 16. And so if there's nobody for them, you know, to be um, reporting to as an illegal guardian or um, a parental figure, they have kind of fallen through the cracks. And this is a big struggle, especially when it comes to housing these young people, because in the state of Oklahoma, as a 15, 16, 17 year old, um, it's very difficult, if not impossible, to access mental health care, physical health care. Um, you can't get your own identity documents um, through vital check um, without a, a legal guardian signature. Right. So there's this holding period or waiting period of 15 to 18 years old that there's not anything for them to do. If you don't have your identity documents, you can't go and get a job. You can't go and sign a lease. Um, so it's a, it's a large struggle. It's a big concern. And I think that we would love to see some legislation that would help, you know, in yeah. that area. Mm -hmm. That's exactly why I brought it up. Cause I feel like, you know, in the era of banning books and other such nonsense, there are other things that we need to be paying attention to. Um, but and just to speak on that, just a slight bit more that, you know, also in that age range <clears throat> in the state of Oklahoma, um, just simply becoming homeless is not uh, to the level of abuse or neglect. And so DHS is not inherently, because I hear this all the time, well, DHS should just put them in custody. And it's just not something that does happen very often, um, if if at all, that uh, a, a 15 to 17 year old is placed in DHS custody for simply coming into shelter. Mm -hmm. Now, if they are fleeing violence, um, if they're fleeing an abusive situation, Situation, that might change the the picture some, mm -hmm. um, but simply coming into a homeless shelter does not is not abuse 
or neglect in yeah. the state of Oklahoma. So and I would say that even trying to push it off to DHS is a Band-Aid solution. There definitely should be some legislation saying if A and B and C, then D, this 16-year-old can go ahead and get their birth certificate so that they can get their ID by themselves. Because if they're old enough to make up their mind that they can drop out of school, then they're old enough to know what they're probably going to do with their life. And let's go ahead and help them and get their ID and get set up for success. And if we're of legally going to allow them to, you know, be removed from school at 16, mm-hmm. then they're looking to have a job and earn money. And if they don't have a way to do that, right? we can all guess, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, none of us would be able to survive for two years, 16 to 18, without making any money. Yeah, there's so trouble. There's trouble, you know, and it's, and it's, unfortunately, it's just something I see happen frequently. And they're, they're good kids in a really hard situation. I bet, I bet. Um, uh, and I would, so for Andrea, one thing that I think about um, is sleeplessness and kids probably falling asleep in class because they're not getting enough rest. Yes. And food insecurities mm-hmm. is an issue too. Yes. And we see that um, kids falling asleep all the time in classes. And, and so sometimes we just let them sleep. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we all, we, we always say this, but it's so true that you have to meet, you have to meet their needs. You have yeah. to Maslow before you can do bloom That's because right. they have to have their needs met. If That's they're tired, right. if they're hungry, if they're, you know, not loved at home and they need that from their teacher, we have to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, schools really do provide so much more than education. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if a lot of people realize that, but we we have to meet them where they are mm-hmm. and we have to help them meet their needs. Yeah. And, and I would say to that on the political side, you know, help support these public schools because they have it hard enough as yes. is. Don't take funds away. Don't you know, I'm going to end there before I say something that gets me in well, trouble. We're so thankful for our young people that are still connected to school because it's the one like um, column of natural support that they still have in their lives that we can lean on for support in progress. And, you know, what are our next steps and somebody else to connect to and help this client like move forward. Um, and so we're very thankful for when schools are involved in supporting our young people. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And um, just on that note, um, with our homeless funding that we receive um, through federal funds, we can provide things for our homeless students, anything they need for school, school supplies, backpacks, clothes, shoes, hygiene products. Um, if they need a graduation gown, if they need a musical instrument because they're in band, if they have to pay an art fee, those are all things that we can take care of. They get free meals automatically. They don't have to show any kind of documentation for that. Um, and so there are a lot of things that schools can do for students who are in this situation. Thank you for sharing that because I did not know that at all. And that is awesome. When we have young people that are connected to a school, contacting the homeless liaison for that school is our first step because it, it immediately sets up transportation. 
We know that there are resources for clients that sometimes come in with just a backpack and don't have, you know, any of their hygiene products, any, you know, supplies for school or even clothing. And fortunately enough, we're able to provide some of that to our clients as well. But we know that clients that are engaged in a school atmosphere have, you know, an abundance more access to those resources. And it's always a very great situation for them. Cool, cool, cool. So, um, I'm in concluding, I would say just at, in being humans and seeking out humanity and others, uh, what should we be teaching others about homelessness and what should parents be teaching students about um, their students, their children about homelessness? Well, what would you like to see? First of all, just an acknowledgement that it exists. Um, I think sometimes we turn a blind eye and think, no, that doesn't happen in our community or things of that nature. But it's it's something that can touch anyone. Many people that we know are just a paycheck or two away from being homeless themselves. If they suddenly lost, if I lost my job, I wouldn't just be able to pay my house mortgage for very long, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we that could be any of us. And so just to treat people with respect, I think always is good. Um, and just know, as you said, that just because maybe they're going through a rough time does not make that, that parent negligent, does not make that parent a bad parent. They're trying to help their kids as best that they can. And when they reach out to us, we feel very, very fortunate that they have done that so that we can help them. And that's one of the things that we try to to let them know is we're not here to judge you or how you got there. That's not our job or our place. Um, We're here to help you. So let us just help you as best that we can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll chime in on that a bit too, is that um, young people are often coined the hidden homeless. Um, This is kind of like a term that's used across the country because we know that it's difficult to identify and find young people that are experiencing homelessness because they're couch surfing and they're kind of, they're doing their best to blend in because they, you know, as Andrea stated before, like in, in school atmospheres, in sometimes work life, you don't want to stand out as a person who is experiencing homelessness. But I, I really want to hit hard on that. This is something that exists every day. Um, we have, we, we have, let's see, 26 clients in our shelter and drop-in center every single night. And we have a wait list between 25 and 50 young people, um, on any given night. And, you know, before I even started in this field of work, um, I didn't realize the, the large amount of young people that are truly unaccompanied because I think we go about living and thinking, oh, you know, there are systems in place for that. Mm -hmm. There surely are not young people that don't have a legal guardian or a parent that are out aimless in the world, but there are, they're out there. There's, there's dozens and dozens of them in our city, in our state, um, whether it's urban or rural, 
it is occurring. And so I think it is really important to remember that like this is happening around us and we can't turn a blind eye. We have to come up with pathways in moving forward Mm -hmm. and to address the issue that's already there and that's existing. You know, we can't pretend that it doesn't exist, that young people between the, the ages of 15 and 18 don't have access to be able to start building their lives as a person when we know that they're are 15, 16, 17 year olds that are unaccompanied. Um, and I think that just, just being open-minded and understanding that, um, homelessness doesn't happen because you're less than, or not a good person or doing the wrong things or involved in the wrong, you know, um, activities activities. and and it that's that's not why and so I think that just remembering that once somebody gets into a cycle of homelessness is very difficult you immediately have 10 more barriers in front of you than you did before Um, and it is very very difficult to get out of that cycle Um, and so getting connected to resources is the very best thing that we can do for our young people that are experiencing homelessness and expanding those resources and being able to provide those pathways. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember when I was younger um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say the name of the company or not but I remember my supervisor he said and I was like 18, 19. And he said, um, I'm going to give you a life piece of advice here. Wherever you work at, always purchase the short term disability because you never know what's going to happen. And homelessness is easier than what you think it is. So that being said, um, I know you work at Edmond Public Schools, but um, is there just a general um, process into which people can reach out to their schools if they are experiencing homeless or to figure out how to keep their kids enrolled. You know, let's say that, that they were at a, living in a district for three or four years and then they find themselves homeless and they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know where my kids are going to go to school at. What do they need to do in that case to, as far as um, trying to figure out you know, if they don't have a lease to to bring or their, uh, what is it, utility bill? Sure, yes. So every every school is required, every district is required to have a homeless liaison. Mm -hmm. So that would be the first step. Reach out, just call any number and ask for that person. Even if you don't know their name, just say, can I speak to the homeless liaison? Mm -hmm. Um, If a child, um, let's say, has been in um, Edmond for had just that year or any number of years before and then they the mom loses her job and they get um they have to leave their apartment and they have to move in with family and they may be in Oklahoma City public schools mm-hmm. we still provide transportation and we still allow them to continue in Edmond because we want that stability for them. Wow. We don't want them to have to change schools. And that's a requirement of all districts. Awesome. Um, they're to find a way to make that available to the family. Um, so that's an important thing to know. Also, if you are homeless, um, all districts are required to ask you to complete a form. Ours is very basic. It's not a lot of personal information and it's just a one page document, not several long pages. Um, but once we have that on file, um, that person is considered homeless and they do not have to show any kind of documentation such as uh, birth um, birth certificate, shot records, utility bill, all of those things. We will work with the parents on that. I mean, we want to make sure that the child has had their shots. So eventually 
Um, we'll allow them to turn it in later or we'll help them to get that. Because as I said before, if if they, you know, just fled somewhere because of domestic violence or something of that nature, that parent may not think, oh, I better grab my child's shot records. Mm-hmm. That may just not be the thing on their mind. Right. But we our, our schools have nurses and we can help you get those so you can have those documents. Um, but don't let that be a barrier. Um, just call for your homeless liaison and talk with them and and they can help you get enrolled. Sure. Thank you so much for providing that information. It's extremely helpful. And uh, Kylie, if you want to close this out. Sure. Well, I wanted to um, share a, a positive story kind of along the lines of what you were saying about um, transportation through the McKinney-Vento Act. Um, any any young person that is experiencing homelessness that might not be um, now in their homeschool district um, still has access to transportation to that school district. And so we, we once had a young person that was, uh, their school district was in Jones and they were staying at Sisu, which is about a 45 minute drive. And it was their senior year of high school. And um, so the homeless liaison from Jones drove every day to and from and this client was able to graduate and finish high school and you know went on to enlist in the military and was really successful and so I think that that's a real testament to how important that is Mm -hmm. so yeah Mm -hmm. thank you thanks so much for having us you're so welcome thank Thank you for being here we're looking for for someone else to have a program everybody got to realize that we are the program so Mm -hmm. that thanks for coming with us today and we will see you next Thursday. Bye. Tushalicious Talk is part of the Breaking Ice, Building Bridges community podcast platform brought to you by Possibilities, Inc.